I'm Alexander Price, and you're listening to Machine Elf Radio. This week it was my pleasure to speak with Rabbi Getzel Davis at Harvard Hillel. We met outside. It was a beautiful day. The sun was shining and the birds were singing. We started talking about blessings and curses in the Torah, but it kind of ended up being more about sex and circumcision and polyamory and whether a, a free love kind of open marriage with a group of people could still fulfill the commandment to be fruitful and multiply. And uh, we had a lot of fun and talked a bit about Torah and I guess just the idea of what it means to be blessed. So do you have anything to say about like just the uh, phenomenon of blessing and cursing? Because as I was waiting for you, I was sitting here thinking about how like... uh, you know, in general, like, in the West, I would say our attitudes towards our parents today is very different, that, like, uh, you know, your, uh, one of your parents might say, I don't want you to do such and such, and you're like, you don't control me, you know, I don't care, like, the, the, the blessings and curses don't seem to have, like, power, <laughs> and we also, we also, like, curse people very casually, you know, so, uh, uh, so, what is the, the sense of, uh, like, when someone is giving a blessing or, or a, a curse in the Torah, like, they make a big deal about it, for example, on the, uh, uh, on Jacob's death bed right uh, or lots of people's deathbeds they're they're giving these blessings and so what what is the significance of that why is that such a big deal so some of the curses are about the way that the world is so like um i was thinking about this, so you know this is the it's parshat noah where we're in the second port por- we're about to read the second portion of the torah portion last this week has a couple curses in it last week and blessings this last week also did so we get the land gets cursed um ma- man gets cursed and women get cursed in the in the first um uh, in in last week's torah portion in parshat which was the first uh, opening section of the the book of Genesis. Yeah, the very beginning of Genesis, where it says that a um, um, that um, Eve or uh, or Chava, she's called in Hebrew, she's cursed with 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 a difficult childbirth, um, and then man is cursed with having to work the land, and the earth is is cursed also to have thistles, um, and that it's not it's not easy um, anymore. Well. And also in like uh, academic uh, uh, classes on the on Genesis, they're going to point out that there appear to be two creation stories in Genesis. And the first one, there aren't curses. Is that correct? That it's just blessings. And and each of the two sections, uh, I don't know. They they use different names of God, and uh, God seems to have a very different personality. Uh, so if you're looking at Genesis chapter one and chapter two and three, the um, so the, the the there's a there's a big blessing that exists and that that that's that's really noticeably different than the first one. It says in Genesis chapter um, one, it says "Pru ervu milul et haaretz v'kivshuha." Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and master it. Uh, and the word kivshuha is a really problematic one. It's, I mean, in modern Hebrew, it's associated with the word for rape. Okay. 
Um, and that, so like, that might be a blessing for humanity, but not a blessing for the Earth. It's totally heartbreaking. That's so intense because, like, there are actually uh, a lot of, uh, uh, there's some articles written about how Christians went on to reinterpret this and how they brought it to the Americas, that very particular line, as, like, uh, uh, a sanction to uh, do whatever you want, you know, to the people who are there or to the uh, 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 resources and just to plunder them endlessly. Yeah. But luckily, we have we the the Torah comes back and kind of revises that in the next creation story. In the next chapter, we get pru, uh, we get we get told uh, that our our job here is to pruvu and and uh, shomra. Um, we're supposed to be shomre adamat. We're supposed to guard the earth. Okay. And that's a, it's they're they're parallel to each other. So the first one is about taking having dominion over the earth but in the second creation story um which being second kind of comes as like a learning experience upon the first uh as a rectification on it it's not supposed to be about um about uh assertion of will but actually that us humans have an obligation to be guardians of the earth so what were we saying about the blessings that God uh, blessed uh, uh, the people to be fruitful and multiply, and then uh, put some restrictions on that. Um, what were the restrictions? God said, "Be fruitful and multiply." Uh, first to humanity, um, and to birds and to fishes. That's in last week's Torah portion, and then uh, in this week's Torah portion, we're told also um, not only are we're blessed not only with um, uh, humanity being told again to be fruitful and multiply, but also that land mammals get it, which is interesting because it seems like God's anticipating the the, uh, the the flood in some ways. Birds and fish survived the flood just fine because they could f- swim and fly. It's only land mammals that are uh, that were that were real or not mammals, uh, land animals that were hit by the by the flood and destroyed. And those creatures only after the flood received the blessing of being fruitful and multiplying. It's interesting, right? Even like this this phrase, "be fruitful and multiply." The rabbis are are uh, struggle with the question of whether this is in fact a blessing or whether it's command. Because right? God can't repeat God's self. Um, as a um, like everything needs to be learned and, and God's I think seven times throughout the Torah says be fruitful and multiply sounds like a very Jewish idea that that would be a, a command too yeah, so. <laughs> like like this is your your Jewish mother saying like you have to <laughs> yeah have kids it's actually so it's a mitzvah it's one of the 613 commandments um, and uh, and of course the rabbis get into the technicalities of what does it mean to be fruitful and multiply um, and um and most people say it's having one son and w- one daughter. Um, and it's only a mitzvah upon men, because uh, it's dangerous. It, at least it was much more dangerous in the, in the world uh, to give birth. So it, was, it wasn't an obligation upon women, but it's an obligation of men to, to have children. Um, and, and in that way, so it's th- in that read, it's not a bl- blessing. It's a command. But because it keeps happening, but we also get blessed with it. Um, and one thing I just want to point out is that it's a... Um, it's interesting because, right, if if birds and fishes and animals um, are also obligated to be fruitful and multiply, um, or blessed with it, it might 
come under our obligation to help them do that. And right now, with the growth of humanity and and our and our uh, overpopulation in this world, we're actually um, impeding the ability for all the other creatures to fulfill their birthrights of 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 also being fruitful and multiply. So, um, you know, one environmental tour that we could cover this, some people say be fruitful and multiply means to have as many kids as possible but because it has to be tempered also with the ability for animal, for all the other animals to be fruitful and multiply. We need to, um, we need to care about each other and figure out a sustainable way to live on this planet. It's really interesting to put that in terms of, uh, I don't know I, what I would say call call sexuality because the first uh, some of the first restrictions that have come up really quickly in the second and third uh, uh, chapters then are about human sexuality. Are they? Well, I mean the curses certainly are directed at uh, seem to be directed at humans in a sexual way. Oh, oh, interesting. I've never thought about that being about sexuality. Well, uh, the childbirth so- thing and uh, I don't know. I, I've 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 kind of gotten the uh, like broad impression that like. There is an ongoing struggle between humans and men, men, men and uh, you know God and men specifically, uh, over controlling, you know, male sexuality, like cutting off part of the penis, you know, as as one like real indication of submission, you know. So I think that that's like a really Christian uh, read. Uh, like so, the midrash says that Adam and Eve were sleeping with each other in the garden, and like everything was hunky dory, and. Um, it's interesting, like, actually, the right, because Adam, obviously, and Noah aren't, never says that they were circumcised, um, because it was before um, the rabbinic, but before Abraham, who's the first person who's told to circumcise right. himself and his progeny. But, um, but actually, the Midrash, the rabbinic, like, interpretations say that Adam and Noah, and I think Methuselah and Enoch, all were born circumcised. So there's actually, it's not necessarily, I don't think that the act of circumcision is about the cutting. In terms of, like, the rabbinic imagination, it certainly is the way that most of us get there. But the, it's much more about the human ideal of, the, the Jewish ideal of beauty, that, um, which is, uh, this idealized human body is a circumcised uh, for men is, a, is, a, is, a, is circumcised. So even when, when they're imagining these pre-covenantal important characters, so it says that, um, you know, the Torah says that uh, Noah was a tzaddik in his generation, was a righteous person in his generation. Of course, if he's a righteous gener- person, he must be circumcised. Um, and because it doesn't describe it actually as having been a ritual done, he was born that way. But how could such a perfect person not be circumcised is kind of like, I think I read to be like the underlying logic of such a midrash. So it's not a punishment for for, for uh, sexuality. The, the act of circumcision is, um, I mean, I don't know if this is really where we want to go with this, but at least under, in like the, the rabbinic and mystical uh, mind, it's much more about uh, enabling, um, holy intercourse um, and uh, it's it's like just as you have like you need to husk um, corn in order to be able to to eat it um, so too do you have to like remove the husks and that's actually the, the same word orla is used for husks of of, um, uh, uh, of uh, grains and um, and of a penis 
uh, and the and the foreskin of a penis. It's the same word. It's the idea that in order to to like reveal what it's actually there for, it's not about getting rid of the penis. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I've also heard about Adam uh, that he wasn't necessarily born Jewish, so I wonder if there's a, a connection there between the the uh, whether he whether or not the question of whether or not he was circumcised and whether or not he had to convert. Oh, of course he wasn't Jewish, right? right? Like uh, he wasn't. No, he, of course Adam wasn't. Right? I mean, like, uh, if Judaism is either Mosaic or Abrahamic, um, yeah, no. But 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 the reason why the rabbis are looking back and saying, ah, he must have been circumcised, is because they think he's just a good person. I mean, right? I there are other ones too. Like uh, Abraham insists on circumcising Ishmael, um, who's also not Jewish. I mean, one of the reasons that it's such a that it's an issue is that like. Uh, if you are only Jewish by having a Jewish mother and Eve wasn't Jewish, it means like, you know, everybody has, is, uh, who is Jewish is, you know, descended from somebody who converted. Yeah. But, I mean, if we're all descendants of converts or converts ourselves. In what sense? What you just said. That, the, like, I mean, right, so there's... There's two different way, rituals for entering into the covenant, and one is circumcision, and the other is mikvah, is uh, is a ritual immersion in a in a in a, a pool of of living water, which of like accumulated rainwater. Um, and the the Talmud proposes that like maybe Sarah and the other matriarchs, of course, they went to the mikvah, because that's kind of like how they're imagining um, how women enter into the covenant as well. Uh, out of personal curiosity, like, what's the rule about the mikvah? Is it, does it have to be, like, ritualized, or just anybody who goes and, like, does a cannonball in as a Jew? Uh, it has to be l'shem uh, gior, for the sake of conversion. Um, but how do you know that is a, uh, is a funny question. There's a, uh, a weird Talmudic story about one, uh, a rabbi who had a slave or a, or a, a servant who was in love with this other woman and um and I think he, uh I think she was like pushed into the mikvah and it was unclear so mikvahs all, both the way that you become Jewish and the way that you become freed from being a slave uh, and there was a whole quite and it's also the way that people become sexually available after menstruation and there was a whole rabbinic debate about like how you can figure out what was going on in this story about like whether for what purpose this woman was in the mikvah and if she didn't enter in by will like if she like slipped in or cannonballed in or was like pushed in like how how do we ascertain what that what that purpose of the mikvah was what the outcome was because they're really because they're different um but yeah so i mean we today hold that that men need to go back through both circumcision and through mikvah in order to become uh to convert into judaism and and to pass through a rabbinic um court um but and women just goes through the mikvah but there's a um there's a whole question in the in the talmud about whether or not men are required to go to the mikvah yeah so i want to go back to the (laughs) (laughs) uh um so just like generally, what is the power of a parent's word over their children? Like what, uh, what, what is the, the power of, of, you know, parents and, and, and to give blessings in the Torah? Like who cares if you have your parents' blessings? Just do what you want. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 
So fundamentally, Judaism believes in the power of language. And again, last week's Torah portion, God speaks the world into creation. Um, So we create worlds with our words. Um, And whether those are just, you know, um, declared wishes with what we what we do or whether somehow our words are become speech acts in and of themselves and somehow by saying something we actually change something um yeah we believe that uh that words have power so just as like you have to say something before going into the mikvah to figure out why you're going to the mikvah would make you a you have to speak under the chuppah at a wedding in order for it to be a wedding like um like words define the circumstances and and and, and you so there's a whole there i mean today we've figured out that like we found other ways of communicating this but the rabbis aren't sure whether someone who's mute can become married because they can't say you're mar- like i am doing this in order to get married um now we can write it or something like that and trust their ability to communicate Thank God. But there's something powerful about the speech act. Whenever we take oaths, whenever we perform ritual acts, or whenever we bless or curse. So every naming is also a blessing. Right? So the... Um, so we uh, there's a tradition that says that, uh, that when we name a child, it's the closest to prophecy we ever get. Um, because what a name is, is a wish or a blessing for who this person's going to be. And uh and it, it seems like in the in the Tanakh that the vast majority of people who receive names actually play out um the wishes, the blessings of their parents who name them. And sometimes it's their fathers and sometimes it's their mothers who give those names. I never thought of this before of like the uh parents naming their children as being like engaged in a kind of prophecy in the Torah. Oh, a hundred percent. It's the closest to prophecy we ever get. Um, is that ability to wish. And of course, so too, we got to create our own names. Um, but, um, but the names we're given are, a, are one of the, the real places where our parents really do get the ability um, to, to bless us and, and, and in a way that we carry, we carry that along in our, in our lives. Can I also ask you a question that I've, has always puzzled me a little bit about the curses in the, uh, uh, like as everyone's being sent out of the garden, God says to the uh, serpent, I'll put enmity between your children and hers, you know, between the, your children and the woman's children. Mm-hmm. Does that actually happen in the Torah after that? Are, is there enmity between, because there's one... Between snakes and humanity? In, in the Torah specifically. Or do you think that that's just, like, a story about, like, how humans and snakes came to not like each other in a more mundane way? I've always read of the latter. Um, but I'm thinking about it now. I mean, I guess what makes me really curious about it is there's this idea from the Zohar about, uh, uh, Cain was the child of the serpent and I guess Abel was the child of so there's a midrash that says that that the uh, that Eve slept with uh, with with uh, with the serpent 
Uh, and of course, snakes and phallic is like a phallic yeah. image. Knowing good and evil. Yeah. Yeah. The biblical sense of knowing. Yeah. Yeah. So that makes a lot more sense, though, if like the rest of the story kind of is a long conflict between uh, different uh, brothers. So, uh, so there's blessings that then get uh, have some restrictions placed on them. Is it uh, is it a pattern that repeats like the. Uh, like that kind of stuff seems like it's a pattern of expansion and contraction. Does it keep happening in this way that there's more blessings followed by restrictions, or uh, is that just in the beginning? Or is it like there's this explosion of blessing in the beginning followed by increasing levels of restriction as the story goes on? I think some of it depends on what you think a blessing and a curse is. We get a long list of blessings and curses at the end. Um, traditionally, at the end of Deuteronomy, um, traditionally we whisper those ble- those curses because they're scary. So when they're read from the Torah liturgically, uh, um, they're whispered and read quickly. So uh, and we don't take breaks in between it. So that way we get like we get through it as fast as possible. To your question about whether they like open and close and open and close, it's an interesting question. Um, yeah, I um, I think that be that would war- like warrant further study. It would be really um, would be interesting to look into. Yeah. So, is there anything in, in particular that uh, that you want to say about? just the theme of blessings and curses like the ones that like really jump out at me there's uh uh the uh you know the initial creation and then the curses as they're leaving eden and then the next curse i saw was like cain and then there's the weird one about like if cain is cursed sevenfold is like is it lamech is that his name tubal cain yeah Yeah. there's another curse um so, uh, and then the next really memorable ones that jump out at me are, are Jacob on his deathbed, giving all the blessings to his children. Before that, Isaac steals the blessing from uh, from his brother Esau. Um, yeah, I'd say one other, the big curse that's coming up for me right now is, again, last week's story portion, and kind of looping in this, like, uh, pr- be fruitful and multiply blessing. Um, God creates the world and says it's good and create, you know, creates light, says it's good, creates water, says it's good, 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 good. Humanity is very good. All of those are blessings, uh, you know, or statements of truth. And then it, God create, and, and then God notices Adam's loneliness or the, and says, oh, that's not good. Um, and I think that that kind of reverberates. There's like the, or the, the, the inverse of the blessing to be fruitful and multiply uh, is to recognize that the act of uh, that 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 a, the good life is not done in isolation. Um, that we're done. In, that it's done in community and in communion, um, and that um, and, and and that becomes a um, that also becomes a blessing. I'm oh, sorry. It becomes a mitzvah. There's actually no mitzvah to get married. 
anywhere in the Torah. Uh, it never says, thou shalt get married. And the rabbis really struggle with this because there's a norm of getting married. And uh, they kind of derive it actually from these two mitzvot that we're talking about. They're, the idea that it's, you sh- it's a mitzvah to, be, to have kids, and it's a mitzvah to not be alone. Um, and um, there's actually like a really funny medieval... Uh, a uh, thinker named uh, the Chilkat Machokek, who wrote a, his name, a commentary on the Shulchan Aruch. So I guess it's like 17th or 18th century. And he says, ah, if we only knew be fruitful and multiply, we could do that in a hookup or with a prostitute. Um, and if we only knew that it's not good to be alone, we could do that with a chavruta. We could do that with a good friend. But because we know that we need both, that's where the idea of marriage comes in. Which is like a really interesting try. Like you know, they're trying to force it. Um, it also, but it, but it also opens up the question of like other sorts of relationships, right? Like there might be a good in having kids, and there might be a good in having like there's a Jewish good in having kids, and there's a Jewish good in not being alone. But marriage, or at least in like the traditional forms, might not be the only way to fulfill those two commandments. Um, and it opens up the possibility for queer folk, um, and it opens it up, um, you know, for like other other sorts of organizing of one's life that um, that it's totally possible to fulfill the Jewish uh, goods of being fruitful and multiplying and not and, and living in close communion without, um, yeah, without with, without being um, without being married. Which is an interesting construct, especially because it runs so countercultural to this um, claim of uh, Judeo-Christian values of marriage. The the rabbis of the Talmud are already, um, you know, trying to figure out what other how, the wh- what technically are those Judeo values, and and marriage is is like assumed to be the means by which people fulfill them, but not necessarily the only way to go about doing it. It's just like simpler, yeah, <laughs> for some of us, right? <laughs> yeah, I was gonna ask about like, uh, uh, you know, why it wouldn't polyamory like uh, that's very become very fashionable, and I wonder if that could also fulfill the commandments. But uh, um, yeah, my my uh, personal feeling about polyamory is that like it's so hard to find one person that you can get along with. <laughs> like maybe that's the whole idea behind it, though, is that like take a little pressure off that person. <laughs> and it feels kind of unreasonable, the fact that you're looking for one person to be everything. Yeah, that does um, like and having a good chavruta, having like a good friend, or three, uh, can help. I personally find, I mean, that, that, that um, you know, as a, as a recently married man uh, who's expecting their own kid, which is the first kid, which is the reason probably why this is all very much at the forefront of my mind. Um, I, um, yeah, no, I, I totally can't imagine um, how I could have energy for more than one partner if I was going to actually take that partner serious, seriously. And the points in my life where I, w- where I wasn't dating in a monogamous fashion... Um, it was to protect myself from actually having to make myself vulnerable 
Um, and I wonder, I mean, I totally think that there are people who productively figure out like meaningful and healthy ways to, to live other sorts of organizations. But I'll, I can say that in my, that in my own dating history, my, when I was curious about, uh, like when I wasn't interested in monogamy, that was because I wasn't interested in actually committing or, or being seriously in, um, in relationship with another person. Well, it's something that I've, uh, I've only recently learned uh, was part of the conversation in, like, even in the 1920s when uh, free love first became, uh, uh, you know, something that was appearing on the social uh, consciousness. People really discussed, like, is this just another name for womanizing? You know, yeah. there's actually there's a really interesting, actually, again, back to Abrashid, um There's there's one um, there's there's one man who has two wives uh, in the the line, I think. Between Noah, I think I guess it's in this week's story portion. I think between Noah and Abraham, um, and there's a really there's an interesting midrash about it that says that um, that that he gets cursed for it, and it's not and it's because he want there's one person who he's using only for sex and one person he's using only for child raising. One one woman is only for, is, is only for one and one's for only for the other, and um, and and that was disgusting. Uh, to have like one person who's just a sexual object and one person who's the like the person who's not going to be who you're not going to engage with like romant- romantically they're just going to be a child uh like a mother we an animal like like we need we the the Jewish ideal is uh, of of uh, fem- in, in, of partnership is i mean obviously like you know whatever we can play with it but that that it's a um that uh that the per- that that it should be the that the the person who's embodying the archetype of lover should also be the ar- person who's embodying the archetype of parent um, or co-parent, and they shouldn't we shouldn't um, split those roles um, because then you're only you're asking people to isolate only parts of themselves and but not bringing their the person is the archetype of parent to the children, not to each other. No, the the issue is like the way that I think I. Oh, well, that's an interesting question. Is it is it an issue for the child? Is it an issue for the man? Or is it an issue for the women? I think it might be an issue for all of them. Yeah. Um, but, but they said that one of the like, this woman was on birth control. The other one uh, was you know actively having children. The man liked to sleep with the one who was on birth control and liked her body unchanged, uh, right? But the uh, but like wanted to have children with the other one, and that 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 bifurcation of sexuality and uh, and parenting. Um, Right, obviously, like you know, for for partners who aren't both able to conceive or something like that, like there's other things. But it, yeah, it was doubly exploitative in a really creative sort of and screwed up sort of way. Namah Shivaya.